LMFM Podcasts, brought to you with Cart Macross Credit Union, where you'll find the best car loan to get you on the move. Talk to one of our team today at Cart Macross Credit Union, O'Neill Street, or cartmacrosscu.ie. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Wednesday morning, the 1st of May. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The Minister for Justice, Charlie Flanagan, is negligent, according to rank and file Gardaí. The GRA conference in Killarney has been highlighting what Gardaí say is a depleted force, under-resourced, under-equipped and tired of being told that there isn't the money to resource policing. Minister Flanagan, on the other hand, says while two 200 fewer Gardaí will be recruited this year. This will be offset by the number of civilians in the force. New cars and new equipment will be purchased and made available by the end of the year. And over the course of this month, 25 additional Gardaí are to be deployed to the Drogheda area as part of efforts to tackle the ongoing criminal feud in the town. Let's talk about this with Fergus O'Dowd, Fine Gael TD for Loud Good morning to you, and uh, thanks for coming into us once again this morning on this ongoing, hugely important issue. Hugely important issue. Uh, how much of a difference do you think the additional Gardaí, uh, the rank and file Gardaí, uh, these recruits who are coming to the town, as well as the availability of the emergency response units, will make to this issue? Yeah, well, it'll make a huge difference because that's what the Gardaí need to tackle the uh, unbelievable criminal activity that there is in our town and the way that uh, ordinary people going about their day, day's business live in fear, walk in fear and they need the reassurance of the presence of the Gardaí. So there will be, what I've been told is 25 permanent Gardaí in Drogheda. Along with that, the emergency response unit is present. Now, they can't tell me the numbers because they don't say how number how, how many they actually put out, but they will tackle directly the people involved in drug dealing. And separately, the armed response unit that is armed Gardaí will assist uh, unarmed Gardaí in the course of their duties, so I presume that would be on checkpoints and other and, and other work, mm. as well as covert intelligence, which is <clears throat> you have other intelligence officers working in the area as well. So, having spoken to the Guardian, they obviously can speak for themselves. Uh, I, I, I believe this is a huge step forward. It'll go a long way towards mm. reassuring people, and hopefully, will it result in due process and criminals eventually being taken off the streets and, and put in jail, which is what must happen. Okay. Well, as we know, people are. are very very concerned uh, and are preparing to demonstrate that concern yes, of course, on yeah. Saturday. Uh, will yeah. you stand with people on of that street on Saturday? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very important that people go there. Mm. I think it's important that, that everybody sees how many of us care about this mm. and that, you know, we want further and ongoing action as well. I mean, the now, I hear some people might be afraid to go. Uh, just uh, sure, as a, by the way, for people listening, that's at four o'clock on Saturday. At St. Peter's Church, yeah. yeah. Okay. No, I think there's no need to be fearful. I think that what is important is that people stand up for democracy, mm. stand up for ourselves and get out there and just stand there and be, be witness to what to the future. What's the statement? 
uh, which Michael did. That the demonstration will make. Well, I mean, I'm not involved in the organising. No, I know. Uh, but, uh, no, but, but to, me, to me, it's a statement about Drogheda Cares. Uh, Drogheda has a positive future, and we have to move forward like... Mm. The FLA, the Arts Council, mm. sorry, the Arts Centre, have a, have a festival this week, and to look into positive things mm. about Drogheda, and looking at places like Moneymore, um, and you know, th- while there's lots of th- there's lots of disadvantaged areas in our community, and we need to do more for them. So it's a message to us as politicians that we need to do more, more youth mm. workers, more sports facilities, uh, more supports for yeah. people. But in, I mean, in it's not Moneymore. Would be uh, no, but it's. Uh, I'm talking about the. Mm. I'm talking about the, I'm it's talking about the most disadvantaged yeah. areas. Well, oh, absolutely. But the problem yeah. has spread well, well, right well, out across well, the whole is, of the town. Yeah, well, of course, I'm not, Michael, mm. I'm, not, yeah. I'm, not, mm. I'm not shying from any point. Mm. Mm. I absolutely accept that. Mm. I absolutely accept that. Uh, but I think that this is an important moment, mm. and I'll certainly be there. It's important for us politicians mm. to make sure, obviously, that the message is getting home mm. after our interview, but nothing to do with yeah. Michael the other mm. day. I had a chat with, with the Tisha about all of the issues mm. and uh, he expressed yesterday his concern for Drogheda and to make sure He's probably he heard some of uh, the reports but would he, 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 but, but he realise yeah. that there's people who, there's a woman uh, who I know of who goes to bed in Drogheda with a, a variety of knives around her bed in case somebody breaks in and a, a couple of fire extinguishers beside her in case somebody petrol bombs the house well, I mean, that's an appalling vista for that person. And I would say that, and it's not just, by the way, that mm. she should go to the police urgently. Um, but I think that's what these guards are for, mm. to make sure that that woman is reassured mm. and that the people who are threatening her, that they're, they're put behind bars. Mm. But what um, the Taoiseach, it's not, or, or the minister, uh, yeah, the, the elusive minister, uh, who, by the way, isn't available to us again <coughs> today, which is, we'll talk about I'm it. I'm available, right? Michael. Oh, absolutely. And, 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 and I really appreciate that. And you're available to me yes, as well. Yeah, well absolutely. And I really appreciate <laughs> That. Uh, yeah. and we might talk about that in a, a moment. But would the minister, Charlie Flanagan, or the Taoiseach know uh, that there's people who are watching the television uh, and they're looking at the screen, they see their own house on the screen? Which yeah, well, been, I've made the T-shirt which aware. Ha, just, oh, just if sorry, I could yeah, make the sorry, they're, me, yeah. look, they're looking at their own house on the television screen, which has been totally destroyed. Right, yeah. And they're hearing a report saying that this house has been destroyed as part of an ongoing gangland feud. A few that they have nothing to do with. Of course, yeah. They are completely innocent. People who escaped from that house with their lives. 30 seconds later, they'd have been dead. Uh, people who escaped from that house with their legs scorched. People who've had their house and their car destroyed. Who had nothing at all to do with this dispute. Who now have nowhere to live. Don't know if they're insured if uh, they're indemnified in the case of arson, or well, what will I, happen I, next? I, I don't know the family, but I'd be happy to talk to them. I have no issue with but that. Does, but, but, does, uh, but I accept, it, it, I accept it, it, that that is the outcome. That, that is the reality of, uh, of, course. of the lawless yes. state yeah. of life in Drogheda. Yeah, but the fact that it's happening, is happening because, and I'm not about mm. this family, you made it very clear, there's mm. no drugs involved, but... It's it's because people, in some cases, I, I can tell you families I know mm. about, who may have family members who had large drug debts mm. and they can't pay them. And they're told if they don't pay them that they will be killed. Mm. Uh, that their mother was shown a, mm. a knife in a machete outside a supermarket and mm. told she would be cut to ribbons mm. if the debt wasn't paid. Does the T-shirt... Finish my point, Michael. Mm. Okay, and, sure. and, uh-huh. and, uh-huh. and those people uh, those are on the run. Mm. They've, left, they've left the country in one case. I am aware mm. of many cases. Mm. But the point is that uh, 
we now will ha- be in a position where the Gardaí believe they have the resources mm. to tackle it. But just to, but, 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 sorry, but yeah. why have we got to this situation? Well, well, we, we, but just to, take, un- yeah, just, well, just, just to understand the situation, yeah. what, would the Taoiseach or the Minister be aware of an elderly couple who have nothing to do with drugs, nothing to do with gangs, nothing <clears> to do with anything else, but live next door to somebody whose house was petrol bombed, who are afraid to go asleep at night, and as a result, take it in turns... One sleeps at night, one sleeps in the day. That's terrible, Michael. Yeah, that's appalling. Well, uh, again, I'm not aware of that case. But because what, they're frightened. Of course they are. They're yeah. afraid to go asleep, yeah. let alone leave their house. Yeah, but the point, Michael, if you want to get back, I accept mm-hmm. absolutely those mm-hmm. cases. I know there's dozens, if not hundreds of them mm-hmm. out there. And I know there are people who may have a drug debt and then they're being pushed into an illegal action, like mm-hmm. intimidation of somebody else, mm-hmm. and then their debt is waived. There's that going on. Uh, so it's happening because of criminality. And it goes back to the point, it's about people using drugs and draw down paying for them and there are more people working now than ever before in our town for many many years and therefore there's more people using drugs recreationally and and when you buy an illegal substance like that and when you consume it and you pay for it you're you're feeding uh, the drug trade and you're feeding these criminals and that's the other side of this argument is that people have to think again there wouldn't be a drug problem if people didn't take drugs because mm. they, you wouldn't be able to sell them. So that there's a nest, there's a message for everybody here uh, that you know that 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 is the danger when you buy a recreational drug that you're putting those people at risk. The Gardaí have to deal with that, and they, I believe they will. The politicians must provide the infrastructure in our communities in terms of youth centres support, youth support uh, community Gardaí, so they build up a relationship with. With with the public in these estates and know them by first name and visit them regularly and talk to them and reassure them, and I've no doubt that's what the guardian would wish as well. Uh, would you be concerned that the public health nurse will not do home visits in Drogheda? I've received a communication from. Um, uh, a director of services for the region about this issue and I put them directly in touch with the Gardaí uh, yesterday on this very issue. That I the public at, health service, well, the I, public health I nurse can, would be... I can show you the message, Michael, but what I've been told is that, that p- some people who visit people in their homes as part of their profession are worried that they may be subject to, to, to threats or that they may be attacked. That is true. I've brought that to the So attention. there's no home visits available no, now? Well, I haven't been told that. I, can, I got the message yesterday yesterday and I put them in touch with the appropriate person. Okay, uh, I'm not sure uh, I understand the response because it's just been handed to me and it doesn't yeah. answer the question directly. Uh, this well, was reported to us, we asked the HSE for a response yeah. for 9 o'clock. Yeah, sorry, uh, and well, uh, and the, response, the response I have here, just to read to you, is sorry, that Mike, all, yeah. all referrals for home visits, whatever the service or location in CHO8, which is the area that we're in, or any other sure, area, yeah. <clears throat> uh, are, are considered based on the needs of the individual patient service user, the capacity of the service, the needs of other service users, and on a case-by-case basis dependent on relevant factors, uh, which doesn't say yes or no, uh, but we asked the HSE to state clearly if it was untrue to say that the public health nurse is not doing home visits. Well, what happened to me was I got this text, actually, apologies, mm. it was yeah. Monday, mm. Monday afternoon, mm. uh, that that a number of healthcare professionals were worried 
right now they didn't identify who they were mm-hmm. and I put the person who sent me this text in touch with the Gardaí so that that could be dealt with to reassure obviously everybody concerned but the situation has changed with the additional Gardaí that is a big change and it, it, I think everybody kind of increased confidence mm-hmm. that it will take time Michael but I'm not mm-hmm. a Garda so I can't give you the, mm-hmm. the outline of what will happen but people have to be and must be reassured and that's what it's all about uh, I I, I acted on that when I got that, and that's all I could do in that respect. I don't have individual names, it's but though, yeah. isn't it? well, it, it's, mm. it's, it's a sim- really, I mean, we're talking about elderly people who aren't people. It's a symptom of our society, yeah. Michael, and, and, and that's a fact. No, I think. it's a symptom of if our society. A, 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 it's our society. Yeah, our society. It's everybody. In, in, in it's me. Drada, it's you. It's not important. No, but it, it, <laughs> well, I think it's not no, the situation important. But again, Michael, I, 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 I don't. I, it is not as bad in other places, but as mm. I understand it, it can happen anywhere yeah. because, as I said, this is a war over drugs, yeah. over money, over territory. Okay, but it, it does go on. Like in Dublin, I'm if not, it was in Port yeah, Leash, yeah. would Charlie Flanagan have been more interested well, earlier I, I than don't, now? I don't know the answer if to it that. Was in Port I, Leash, I, I if it yeah. was in Port Leash, would Charlie Flanagan have been on his local well, radio can, station whatever, yesterday or whatever today? Whatever Charlie Flanagan's and Fergus O'Dowd's do or don't yeah. do. Mm. We're not causing the problem. We're not taking the drugs. We have accountability mm. to the public to make sure that guardia are provided and resources are provided. But the people that yeah. are causing the evil is not Charlie Flanagan, is not me either. Yeah. And I think you should make that point clear. Like, oh, well, that's you know, I want to make, I, I want make it, it very clear yeah, to no, you. No, 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 and and, and it's our job to listen. I understand. Yeah, it's mm. my job to listen to people and to make sure that messages like those mm. that I'm getting are dealt with. Yeah. And the good news, notwithstanding everything, and I accept and acknowledge mm. everything you're saying today, is that there's a huge increase in capacity in Drogheda to deal with mm. it. But as I said, that's not the only part of the outcome. Mm. We have to have the social infrastructure we have to have a, a youth centre yeah. policy, a youth policy and all of that. Yeah. And also, people just have to think again when they take drugs. Mm. Just exactly what are yeah. you doing? Because that's if they weren't taking those drugs, this wouldn't be happening. Okay, I want to have pretty much the same conversation I had with you the other day, if I sure. can. Of course, but in, we won't fight this. But in, in a different way. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, because I think everybody knows that Fergus O'Dowd has been calling out for help, crying out for help, pleading for help. Help is on the way now. Uh, And I was asking that uh, somebody should apologise, and I think you took exception to that. Uh, Do you you believe that the minister or the commissioner should be apologising to the people of Drogheda for letting it get this far? Well, Michael, that's my point on this, is that Actions speak louder than words. The actions are the, the people are here. The cancelling the overtime, the pulling look, the guards out, the pulling the armed response kill, unit uh, out it, in the, the middle of a feud. Yeah, well, Watch, the, what, watching a woman on a video nearly getting a bullet in the head is an unbelievable point to reach before you say we'll respond. Yeah, but Michael, the point is that they have responded. And as I said to but you... But it had to take that. But but it 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 my letters, I think you may have them, yes. we sent them to you, have gone on for a long time to the Garda Commissioner. Uh, and that's what I said, I want to yeah. have this conversation yeah. in a different way. Not yeah. Ferguson out. Yeah. Should Charlie Flanagan yeah. apologise well, for letting I, it get so bad? Well, you see, that's a political question and you should ask that to Charlie Flanagan. And I, I will, understand. Yeah. I, I, and yeah. let him answer that yeah. question. Uh, and, because, and, and because Charlie yeah. Flanagan hasn't made himself available, well, he couldn't should. five or ten well, minutes... I, I think he should. I think we, he should we, make we, himself available. That's my personal view. I don't we, see why he should. We, we've asked 
the department, a spokesperson for the minister, if the minister would, you know, through his people, like to issue that apology to yeah. the people of Drogheda. It could be a written apology or something like that, seeing as how he, he, he won't make himself available to the radio station. I heard you on television last night saying he, he should make himself available to the people of Drogheda. I've no issue with that. Well, he has been down. He, like, yeah. In fairness mm. to him, he did visit. Well, uh, if he comes more. down on Saturday, he, yep. he should get an earful, shouldn't he? Well, Michael, I'm sure if he sees you, he'll <laughs> he'll hear it long before he comes yeah. to Toronto. Well, he knows but me I mean, a long uh, time. Right, uh, but I, I think the point is uh, he should go on the radio. Absolutely, he mm. should. He should be here today. Yeah, he should be on my street I, I on Saturday. I'd much prefer not to be here. <laughs> no, what a joke yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. No, but I think mm. to, to be serious about it, I think that we have to have that conversation with our community uh, to look at the deficits mm. in our in our social supports. Do you think the commissioner is out of his depth? Uh, well, I think the commissioner... Look, I'm not going to criticise mm. the Commissioner. No, um, of course, sure, why not? I, I, I mean, he's new in the job. Maybe maybe we may no, need no, to make no, allowances uh, because he doesn't know the no, area. No, he's, I, think he's, I think he's seen all my letters. Mm. Uh, I, I have yet to meet him. I want to stress that point. Mm. I have written to him three times asking him to come to Drogheda. Mm. After the first letter, he did visit, but I didn't get to meet him. I very much want to meet him. Mm. I want to talk to him about this whole issue. And I think the, the due process and the correct process is that he would attend at a joint policing committee, which is the appropriate place. He went to John Policing Committee, I think, in Longford, Westmead, and I think he should come to Drogheda and meet mm. and meet people. Uh, I, 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 I believe he would want to do that. Mm. Uh, I believe he, he is. He but is, but, he, but he, you're he, still making your mind up, are you? No, I'm not making my mind up. No, have no, you got complete I mean, I confidence can, in Drew Harris I, as I the commissioner to oversee I, this problem? I, I have absolute confidence in the Gardaí and their leadership and their professionalism in dealing with this issue. Including Obviously, I'm not happy with certain things, and uh, Mr. Harris is aware of that. I've expressed my view on the number mm. of Gardaí. I've expressed my view on the question of overtime to him. Mm. He's aware of that. Uh, but the situation has changed radically. Okay. Has radically changed. Have you full confidence in Drew Harris? I, I, of course I have, Michael. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Mm. That doesn't mean I, he's not above criticism. I, he's not a god, no more than mm. me or you. Mm. But I do believe he is a dedicated professional policeman. I believe he's doing an extremely difficult job. And obviously, like anybody else, he's open to criticism. And he should be. And Okay. I would like to see him very much, very much in Drogheda. Okay, well, along with, along with uh, Minister Flanagan. Well, it was a significant announcement, a significant boost is, for resource yeah. uh, for uh, the Gardaí in uh, the town of Drogheda. We'll see uh, how it impacts over a period of time. And thank you for coming. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having thank me. Thank you on. very much indeed. From the GLTD for Loud, Fergus O'Dowd. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the National Youth Council has published a manual for youth workers who are engaged with young people who express hateful speech in an effort to, to stamp out hate speech. Anne Walsh is a quality and intercultural programme manager with the National Youth Council of Ireland, and she joins us now. Good morning to you, Anne, and thanks for joining us. Uh, you say in your manual that this is commonplace, and quite often we're not aware of engaging in this type of discourse ourselves and that you hear people across all walks of lives, including politicians, uh, talk inappropriately about people because of their gender, their race or their religion uh, and that it spreads. But it can be very damaging uh, in terms of its consequence. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Michael. It is very damaging. And what we've been saying in this is we need to have a new approach to it because it's not enough to say to young people, you're not allowed to say this here, you're not allowed to say that. That doesn't change anything. So this piece of work, 
you know, because they can go outside of the youth service and, and they'll say things, you know, that, that real change takes a lot more time, a lot more effort, and it takes a huge shift. What we're saying here is a shift on the part of the youth workers in terms of their approach to how they work with the young people, particularly looking at it from the point of view that people don't say these things without um, themselves being perhaps in, in, a, in a space where they have their own needs. And if we don't address those, then we don't address some of the issues that they're coming out with. So it's, it's quite a radical approach. It's very difficult um, because the youth worker needs to look at themselves and their own practice and what they're bringing into a space. And that perhaps they're under too much pressure and they're taking it out on somebody. Is it as simple as that? Sometimes youth workers are under pressure. They're firefighting all the time. So it's not, you know, in terms mm. of their practice, in terms of how they approach the young people that they're with, they might be just thinking... Let's just tell the young person to stop saying these things without taking the time to look at... Actually, what you, what you said at the very beginning, we have structures and systems in place that hold, that, that keep this hate there. They've created it and they maintain it because, you know, it, it serves other people, you know, it serves people to have inequalities in society. Mm. So there's quite a bit of work to do in explaining all of this to the young people and to show them those inequalities um, and... and to show them what they're fighting against in many ways. Uh, but we need to understand it ourselves uh, and we can be slow to learn. I think that's one of the things uh, that you've been saying. Is it a, a, a little bit like how Benny Hill or Alf Garnett would have been acceptable uh, and funny to most of us in the 1970s? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a long process. It's easy. You know, it's all, it's all in the manual. It's all easy stuff in terms of writing it. But it's very hard to bring it into practice because we're fighting all of those messages, those other messages that we've grown up with. And you're trying to fight against that. Um, so you've got to become aware of it first and you've got to see that. And that can be a that can be a hard thing to to acknowledge and to notice that these are the things that, um, that, that we carry with us. And how do we manage those, um, pre- you know, prejudices that we have? And. To teach by example, but also to challenge people who are speaking inappropriately in a, a way that could hurt others, uh, but could also instill hate, because that is in effect what hate speech is, isn't it? Uh, that it's not just the words, it's um, the sticks and the stones as well that follow. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and like what we're saying is in this is that it's about the dialogue that you create with the young people. So when somebody, when a young person is saying something hateful, what we need to do is, is sit with that young person, open up the dialogue with the young person, not close it down, and, and be very aware of ourselves, be very aware of our own judgments, our own, um, where we're coming from with it, because... If, if we're not, we can shut a person down very quickly. They start to feel that they're being blamed. They, they start to feel that they're being judged. And then they go, you know, they, they back off and they don't want to listen anymore. So it's about opening up those conversations and creating um, a real sense of connection with the young people and setting those seeds so that they really start to listen, listen to the youth worker, but also very much listen to themselves and hear themselves. And, and have their own needs addressed as well, because, you know, while we're fighting, you know, exclusions and while we're 
tackling hate, we also have to recognise that there are all sorts of other needs that young people have and they need okay. to be listened to on those. All right. We have to leave it there. We're very tight on time today, Anne, but thank you indeed for taking the time to be with us. Anne Walsh is a quality and intercultural programme manager for the National Youth Council of Ireland. Wednesday morning, meaning the local newspapers are available to you and to us. They're in your shops and they're in our studio. Marie Kearns has the front pages. What's I have being reported well, on this week, or well, need I ask? Well, I'm going to draw it at first, and not surprising perhaps, the two local papers are covering the local gang feud and the fallout from it on their front pages. The Drogheda Independent is leading with the calls for an increase in guard in numbers including 24-hour armed units. While the leader reveals that Drogheda has shockingly been listed as the second most dangerous place to live in Europe just behind Birmingham in a recent crime index which the paper believed to be the result of the ongoing feud. Just before it went to press it also managed to squeeze in the piece about Drew Harris's announcement of those 25 new Garda recruits that are to be sent to Drogheda. Meanwhile, Michael, with all the negativity about the town, it was nice to see the Drogheda Independent featuring a feel-good story on page one about a supervisor at Starbucks in the Larn Centre, Jonathan Fitzpatrick, who's been hailed a hero for saving the life of a customer, Marion Walsh from Slane, after recognising the signs of stroke. Very and the Drogheda good, Independent yeah. says that's the true face of Drogheda. Okay, very good. Dundalk Democrat concerns about crime not just confined to Drogheda because the front page of the Democrat is highlighting urgent calls for an increase in resources for Gardaí amid fears of gang violence across the county following a spate of car thefts and violent burglaries. Local election candidate Aaron McGrehan told the paper that the government needs to assist in the upkeep of law and order in the border region. And it's crime also dominating... The Argus as well in Dundalk, Michael, mm. uh, they're reporting and we covered it during the week about that that awful case regarding the elderly woman who was locked in the bathroom of her Dundalk home on the St Alphonsus Road for hours by masked burglars. And her son spoke of the trauma of the lady to Olivia Ryan and he says she heard a noise in one of the rooms and thought maybe it was his father back when she went to look suddenly she was confronted by two men one of them grabbed her by the wrists and pushed her down she was terrified the men then locked the 79 year old in the bathroom and revealed that his mother was bruised along the arms and in a lot of shock and his parents couldn't face staying the night in staying the night in the house on the, the, the night of the burglary and he warned this happened in broad daylight when my mom was at home I just want to appeal to everyone to be vigilant Okay very serious Stories, uh, very different yes. uh, story on uh, the front page of uh, The Leader, which yes. uh, is featuring a sports story. That's right, mm. and Dog Leader, young sports stars make their mark as the story making the front page news there. And it tells how golfer Josh Mackin and footballer Leiden Clinch grabbed the headlines when they claimed silverware in their respective sports. 17-year-old Josh won the Ulster Boys Under-18 Golf Championship, while Leiden helped the Republic of Ireland Under-15 squad success in an international event. So well done to them. Okay, there's upset in County Mead as reported on the front page of the Chronicle. A poignant story on the front page of the Chronicle and Casey writing that the family of a terminally injured contract man, 62-year-old Paddy McConnell, are distraught at proposals to move him to a new care facility nearly 20 miles away from Carriage's house in Drumcondrat, which is only minutes from his family and where he has been happy, Michael, for the last 13 years. According to the paper, the HSE is reviewing services at Carriage's house, a care home for people with disabilities 
and are considering removing the two remaining residents to Navan. His cousin John told the Chronicle it will be a huge upset if he is moved. He was told he could end his days there but now the same people are telling him he can't. He's happy and content where he is. Going to a strange environment when he is so ill would be terrible. Thanks Marie. Time for election debates next but you'll be back around half ten with comments on those stories or if people heard something else they'd like to make comment on or if there's an issue that you would like to raise with us on the programme as always we'd love to hear from you as I say Marie will be back around half 10 1850 715 or telephone number Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Well, I did say uh, we were going to have election discussions or debates, uh, but our, our candidate uh, due to be with us uh, hasn't uh, appeared as yet. Uh, I did also mention uh, that the Minister for Justice, uh, Charlie Flanagan, is too busy to speak to you through LMFM uh, this morning. Uh, he was uh, speaking at uh, the GRA conference yesterday, as was uh, the Guard Commissioner, about the ongoing feud in Drogheda. The Minister and I have been in contact over the last months, actually, around this feud. And so uh, what I was able to inform the Minister of today is that next month we'll be able to increase the establishment in Drogheda itself by a further 25 members. But I was also able to inform the Minister of the ongoing operation of Stratus and the successes that we've achieved with Obstratus, but also then what we're doing this week and in the coming weeks to ensure that the local local division has all the supported needs, both from the national uh, national units, but also from the regional support unit and indeed the roads placing unit. That's the Guard Commissioner Drew Harris uh, speaking at uh, the GRA conference in Killarney yesterday about uh, the ongoing feud in Drogheda. We might hear more from uh, Drew Harris a, a little bit later on in the programme. He did have more to say, uh, but our candidate has uh, arrived now. As you know, on the 24th of May, you'll be asked to vote in the local European elections as well as a referendum on divorce. In the European elections, so there's 17 candidates in this constituency. One of those is Pat Green, who is uh, the leader of Direct Democracy Ireland, and he joins us now. And a very good morning to you, and thank you for coming in to us. Uh, perhaps uh, you'd begin by telling our listeners why you've decided to run. Well, Michael, the, re- the reason I've decided to run is because I'm, I'm seeing what's happening to Ireland itself, coming from the EU. All the regulations, the directives, all of that is impacting on our lives directly. Whether we like it or not, or whether we think it's happening, it is happening. So, Do you like it? No, not particularly. Okay. Because there's so much coming downstream and so many directives that are taking away what we have. Would you like to leave Europe? Not necessarily. I think Europe itself is a good idea. What we had back with the EEC, where people could trade quite easily. And the movement is quite good. The whole concept is good, but has been taken over, as far as I'm concerned, by people who have decided to run it like a cabal, so that it's running it for themselves. It's definitely not being run for the people of Europe. As we see with the Yellow Vest movement in France, the states aren't listening to the people. The Irish state is not listening to the Irish people. We have the same problem here with policing in in Drogheda. This is not new. So the people of Drogheda have been talking about this for 10 years, more. I know people who have been burnt out five years ago. And this is the culmination of not listening to the people. And then you have another situation with the LFS where they're being taxed to the hilt in France at the behest of the EU Commission. And the EU Commission, we have to remember, is not elected. None of those people are elected. 
some of the MEPs coming from the EPP party and other of the European parties will say, oh, they are elected, they're elected by the governments. They are selected, not elected. And if you are selected, you're not of the people. You're of a small cabal at the top of society. And that small cabal is operating in Dáil So we need to get into the EU to try and change the whole concept, or the whole policy, rather. The concept was good, but the policy... The way it's going at the moment is wrong. But you would like to affect change from within, unlike Nigel Farage, who wants to leave. Well, I think Nigel Farage, I, I let Nigel speak for himself, but I think the whole idea is that if standing together as one, but with the people's voice, if we have direct democracy, mm. citizens initiate a referendum, yeah, but, in every state but Europe, across Europe. Europe is relatively united, uh, so you're no, probably European, going to lose that argument. No, no, the European yeah. states... No, the European people, I no, think. They aren't. Yeah. Well, no, they are Well, we can agree to differ. So. Yeah, but you see, the, um, what I'm saying is that the, the European... The European people, you see, but the European elect people the European did, no, politicians. The Europe, we, were the, we were one of a couple of countries that had a chance of a referendum on the Lisbon Treaty. All the other co- countries didn't. And a lot of them wanted to get out. The people wanted not to go any further than what was there with Maastricht. But the Lisbon Treaty, we were the only ones who had a referendum mm. on it. And we were told we but got you, it wrong the first time, I go take, and do it again. I, I take it you're opposed to carbon taxes then? Not necessarily. But it's just... Well, that's what the Yellow Vest movement is predominantly about, isn't it? No, what they're about is actually their number one priority is citizens-initiated referenda. That's their main goal. And the citizens-initiated referenda will allow the people to decide what happens, not states. And the governments are out of tune. So that's why they want to go back to CIR, which is citizens-initiated referenda. Um, are you opposed to carbon taxes? Hmm. I'd like to re-examine mm. them. Mm. The whole idea of the saving the planet and not uh, destroying it. Do we need carbon taxes to do that? No, not really. We all know that little plastic cups aren't really necessary. We all know that there are toys coming in from all sorts of parts of the world and toys made here mm. that have mixed plastics in them and they cannot be recycled. So why don't we tackle it from that end? Why do we need a plastic bag with a handful of screws in it in the hardware? Mm. We don't. There's a lot of things that can be done without well, carbon the, taxes. The, it's just common sense. Well, well, that's I, I think uh, the principle of carbon tax is a, a cars and stick approach. Well, it's not working. Because uh, you go into the shops today and there's more and more plastics than there ever was. Mm. And the only thing that will drive it is either um, the people themselves deciding, no, I'm not buying that. Yeah. I suppose that one of the best things you could do is take the product out of the plastic and mm. hand it back or, to the or shop. Or make it so expensive that uh, people don't want to buy it. Yes. Yes. But that's not so the you're carbon in favor taxes of won't carbon. do it. No, carbon tax don't do that. It's not trickling down that way. You're in favor, in favor of no. environmental taxes. Well, here's then, the, aren't you? the carbon tax. Hang on, carbon taxes are going to add on an awful lot of money mm. onto the price of fuel, mm. which is already too expensive. If okay. you really want a price of mm. uh, fuel, take off all the levies, all the taxes, the double taxation on fuel. Mm. That can't change. People don't just get into their car and drive down the road mm. willy-nilly because the price of fuel today already is at a price point where people are thinking twice about getting into their cars. Mm. And that's not the biggest issue. And then you've got the other bigger polluters. You have planes flying over back and forth. If you really want to do, bring war into it. Mm. And then you've got them spreading depleted uranium around the planet. So would you stop uh, aviation? No. But you'd regulate it down. You'd make it so that it's not willy-nilly, mm. that people aren't flying around the world just for the sake of it. Look at all the, the, uh, the private planes that arrived into Switzerland to talk about global warming. Mm. 
the cost of that alone, why didn't they get boats? Why didn't they get trains? Why didn't they use their cars? But they were flying within Europe, Mm. not just, they were flying from one end of a continent to another or part of a continent. You're why didn't they do a Skype call or do one of those that, that everybody's talking about reducing, uh, reducing, reducing, but how, the people talking about it aren't doing it themselves. How does vaccination feed into your campaign? The whole idea of vaccination is that it's down to the individual families to decide what no, they it's do not. about that. Why? Because uh, of um, the herding that's uh, involved and that you need an uptake of every vaccination uh, in order for it to be effective. That's your belief. Right, so you don't believe that. Now, hang on. So you don't believe that. No, no, it's not whether I believe it or not. It's down to an individual family to decide that. So you don't believe that we can stamp out measles, mumps... Uh, and these other problems, if you don't have a 97% uptake, you don't believe uh, that we can get rid of cervical cancer unless uh, we uh, vaccinate all young girls? There is no evidence about the, herbal, okay. herbal, the, okay. the HPV stopping cancer. Mm. They are saying that has reduced the virus within the cervix, but they can't say that there's reduced cancer. Okay. My biggest problem with the vaccination and the the whole way it's going is that it's encroaching on the family and the family is above the state and the family should have this right to say no I don't want to do that or yes I do want to do Where that. is demo- d- direct uh, democracy Ireland uh, today has uh, direct democracy Ireland uh, severed its links with Ben Gilroy or will you welcome him home from prison? No, Ben, ben is already out and he's mm-hmm. running his own independent campaign <clears throat> That's you know he's decided that he wants to be on his own, independent, and the system we have is we don't have a party whip, we don't have any of that, so we aren't controlled by each other. We let people come and go as they please, and if Ben Gilroy wants to come back, what what difference would it make to anybody, including yourself? Like why would you even bring that question up? Okay. We leave it there. Thank you very much indeed for coming into us uh, today. Uh, people will get the opportunity to vote on the 24th of May and perhaps uh, we'll speak again in between now and then. That is Pat Green, who is the leader of Direct Democracy Ireland. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. On the 24th of May, you will be asked to vote in the local and European elections as well as a referendum on divorce. Our local election pre-election coverage will feature debates with candidates from each of the local areas every day in the run-up to polling day. We hope to speak to as many local election candidates as possible. The larger political parties are selecting which candidates to put forward, while independents and others are being selected to participate through draws. Today, we will hear from four candidates in the Laytown, Bettystown electoral area, each of whom will hope to take one of the available seats. And after the break, we'll debate the issues with Sharon Tolan of Fine Gael, Sinn Féin's Fergal O'Byrne, Annie Hoey of Labour, and AIN2 candidate Peter Whelan. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, as I say, for today's uh, debate, uh, we're with candidates in uh, the Laytown, Bettystown electoral area. Sharon Tolan of Fine Gael, Fergal O'Byrne of Sinn Féin, Annie Hoey of uh, the Labour Party and Peter Whelan of AIN2. Good morning to each of you and thank you for coming in for today's uh, debate. And uh, perhaps uh, we'll speak with uh, the two candidates who've not held public office uh, before to begin with. And uh, Peter Whelan. Uh, you represent a, a new party in AIN2. Uh, what has prompted you to put yourself forward and why AIN2? 
<clears throat> well, I suppose uh, I'd be the typical punter who would be, you know, having the chat, giving out about the, the system or the politics. I go, my background would have been uh, Fianna Fáil. Um, and people would say, well, why did you leave? Well, I was giving out about, I was kind of defending Fianna Fáil for, because I was part of the party, the way I was brought up to be. And um, I was, I kind of went home in the evening and I say, I was defending there just for the sake of defending. I wasn't really believing that the party was doing what I believed. So then I saw Padre Tobin uh, doing what he done, and I always respected him, but I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't follow Sinn Féin. That wasn't my party. So being a Republican and a proud Irish man, uh, I just thought what Padre was doing was the time for me to, you know, to try and go mm. in a direction that I believed in. You know, like I didn't say which feel is Sinn Féin's direction. No, no, it's not. Well, of course no, no, it is. no. Sure, Michael sure Padre Tobin is. Uh, no, no. I, did you hear what I said? I said I'm a, I'm an Irish, I'm proud yeah, Irish man, yeah, right? Yeah. And I, I see myself as a Republican, but yeah. I didn't believe in all of Sinn Féin's policies. So that's why I wasn't a member of Sinn Féin. I never abortion. was. Sorry? Abortion. Abortion? Yeah. What about abortion? Well, I mean, Patrick Tobin stands for Sinn Féin minus abortion. No, I wouldn't agree. He was Sinn no. Féin true and true. Patrick Tobin starts for... What's the difference for, between Ain 2 and <coughs> Sinn Féin? The difference between Ain 2 and Sinn Féin is that if Ain 2 was in power at the moment in the north of Ireland we wouldn't be in the stalemate that we're in at the moment. Mm, you'd follow DUP policy. We heard that the other day. Well, if you want but to call it, it that, it's, it, yeah. listen, I wouldn't be getting hung up on names. It's the same as uh, nobody owns the word republicanism, right? The, the, we want to cherish all of the children in this nation equally. Yeah. And our policies, our main policies are unity, yeah. economic justice yeah. Yeah. and life. Yeah. That's, uh, not, we don't, okay, we don't so, believe in abortion. But so the, I, so the referendum has spoken about I was abortion. Going, I was going to ask for the A to Z difference between A and 2 and Sinn Féin, but it starts and ends with A, doesn't I it? Never looked, to be honest with you, I never looked in detail at the Sinn Féin uh, you know, mandate as to what they, they are. All I know was there was policies in their uh, system that I didn't agree with. Right, so well, I never really looked in depth into Sinn Féin. Okay. So if you want to say that A and 2 and Sinn Féin mm, are the same, yeah. well, the electorate will tell us that. Well, well, well. There's, you know, two, there's uh, two significant differences: uh, abortion uh, and deciding to um, not worry about a, an Irish language act. Uh, well, I, I am pro-life, so I, the abortion I, I wouldn't yeah. be taking that as a, a negative. That's a positive. Yeah, yeah, but we yeah. we're we're, a, we're democratic. The people have spoken. Same-sex marriage. What about uh, well, well, these are the issues that A and Two would be willing to compromise on that Sinn Fein appear not to be willing to compromise. Well, the on. thing about A and Two is, I have a voice, and nobody will tell me whether it's A and Two or anyone else about my beliefs. Mm. I speak, and I'm, I'm going to be allowed to speak in this party, mm. right? Not like Sinn Fein. When Sinn Fein people spoke up like Padder, they were turfed out. I won't. That won't happen to me in A and Two. And I'll be honest with you: if I thought it would, I'd be the first to walk away from A and Two, the same as I did from Fianna Fáil. Okay. So I'm here to represent the people of the Laytown, Bettystown, Slane area. Okay, hold that thought for a moment. Danny Howey uh, is... Uh... When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Somebody who hasn't held public office, uh, but you've been uh, president of USI, of course, and uh, have a a, a national profile as a result of uh, that. And uh, I take it you were always gearing towards politics. Um. 
I guess maybe subliminally I was always gearing towards it. I, I used to work in the theatre and then I got involved in student politics. I was, became president of the Union of Students in Ireland and then mm. I got quite involved in some national campaigns. So I was the national campaign coordinator for Together for Yes. Um, I worked on Mike D. Higgins' re-election campaign and then I just found myself when I was looking back, I want me and my fiance, we're getting married next year, are looking to buy back up here, mm. back home. And then I was looking around and I was like, I don't see any young people like me running for election. And I suppose I had to put my money where my mouth is. I've always been encouraging women and young people to put themselves forward. And then suddenly it was staring back down the barrel at me. And I was like, if you want something done, do it yourself. Mm. So I thought I would, you know, put my name into the hat and bring some of that experience that I have, you know, that I've worked, you know, very focused on workers' rights. Mm. I'm particularly focused on sustainability. And that is something an awful lot of not just young people, actually. Mm. I think sustainability has become an issue that everyone's talking yeah, about. Yeah, I'm surprised uh, that a young person would consider the Labour Party to be a party that represents workers' rights. Uh, I thought uh, a lot of people of your generation would have thought of them as a very right-wing party. I don't, I don't think that they're a right-wing party. You know, I would they were have worked part of a very right-wing government, weren't they? I think sometimes when you're in a minority, you end up being pulled and swayed all sorts of different ways. I mean, I worked quite closely with the Labour Party went the first increase in the minimum wage. That was when I was in USI. That was a really important thing. It was the first increase in the minimum wage for a long time. Mm. And that was when USI and Labour worked together to get that to happen. And I suppose that kind of kicked off my real kind of commitment to seeing how minimum wage and those sort of things, those small things, but that they really affect workers and workers on the ground. And um, so I, I, I felt that that's where my policies aligned. OK, Fergal O'Byrne, uh, when were you last in office? I, well, I, I never actually made it to office. Oh, did you not? Uh, no, I well, came from a Green Party councillor uh, one time. Uh, no, then. I think I, I was kicked out of the 10th count in 1980 or something like that. So and I knew I've it was been, 100 years I've been missing for the ago, last yeah, 10 yeah. years, I suppose, one way or another, Michael. But it's great to be back. Yeah, 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 and thanks for yeah, having yeah, us yeah, in. Yeah, I'm delighted yeah, to be yeah, here this morning. Well, you're a familiar face. I thought you were that familiar that you actually had a council seat at one stage. Well, that's great. As long as enough people think that on the doorsteps, keep talking, Michael. Well, they'd be very confused because uh, you've always been uh, considered to be the Green Party's uh, spokesperson in Meath. Well, I suppose it's a case of evolution rather than revolution. Uh, you're the opposite of Peter here. Uh, well, as I said, it's evolution rather than revolution. And mm. I'm still a committed Green, absolutely. Mm. And if you look at my issues I have on the LMFM website, you'll see it's primarily Green issues because the single biggest issue facing every one of us is climate change and how we're going to resolve that. Uh, and I, what I want to do, one of the, one of the many issues on my campaign is to make that applicable to the ordinary person. You know, it's so big, it's so awesome. It so, seems, seems like uh, mm. unbelievable. So what I'm trying to do is, and one of the many, many issues, to say, well, this is what you can do as an individual. So I have a last name of that. It's all mm. there. I'm bringing it with me to my new home. And, and were, you, were you told to say that? No, no, not no, at all. No, no. this is a mm. firm belief. Because this is the picture that Peter was painting, yeah. that you're told what to say, and if not, you're kicked out of the party. You know, I'd almost wish I was. I mean, mm. that, you know, that would be wouldn't life be so easy if you're told what to say far from it I think you know me well enough over the years I'm a free spirit I'm my own mind and as I said uh, I'm bringing all the baggage the good stuff I believe and we heard like uh, this this morning about uh, what Quilcher found in the dump in North Mead mm-hmm. you know will it ever end will we ever get our act together on the environment and it's so important it's really so important for all our futures uh, and, and so I brought all that with me plus lots of new issues not new issues I suppose good issues and, and, mm. and bad issues there's a horrific issue on homelessness and again we see that overnight okay. uh, increase up to 10,400 mm. people homeless of the 3,500 children that sounds unbelievable in a modern democracy in the 21st century and then we've such potential in, in the Boyne Valley uh, and I want to work on that in the new county development plan
OK, well, let's uh, talk uh, to Sharon Tolan, who is a councillor. <laughs> Maybe I should double-check that. <laughs> but last time I looked, you were, and you have been uh, for... Uh, Two Five terms, years, is no. no, just the no, one term. Just the one term. Yeah, I should have yeah. got up earlier this morning. <laughs> uh, but we asked each of uh, the candidates uh, in advance uh, which issues they would prioritise, uh, and each of the candidates with us today said housing. Uh, but uh, it's not a, an issue that was on your list, uh, which is probably no surprise because you're uh, a government party representative. Uh, no, well, uh, to be fair, the question and, uh, that I was asked was to submit some issues that I've oh, been working on. Well, well, I, and, well, you know, well, I, absolutely. I, it's yes, it's certainly yeah, not yeah. an exhaustive list. It was. Uh, Quick two-second two email okay, that I needed to, and, to send on to Marie. And that's fair enough. Yeah. Uh, but 10,305 people is the actual figure of uh, the number of people who are in emergency accommodation. 3,821 of those are children. It is shameful, to say the least. Yep, it is. It's a shocking number. Mm. Um, we're doing our best in Meath. We've certainly uh, we've provided 478 homes um, last year uh, to people who are on the list. Uh, more contracts were signed um, only this week mm. for some more new homes in Carlinstown. Phase two of Shepherd's Lodge in Betty's Town. Have people raised this with you on the doorsteps? Not on the doorsteps. No. Certainly, people on the phones who are who mm. are ringing who are on the list so and wanting see, to you know. You can't see their eyes roll when you come out with all of the well, stuff they, that I you've mean, been doing. Look at, I mean, Michael, we're, mm. we are doing our best. We mm. are doing our best. And on Meath County Council, I have to say, the staff work phenomenally hard in trying to ensure that people either remain in their homes if they're about to lose their home or they find alternative accommodation for them while we are working on providing the accommodation and providing homes. Mm. And it's a very difficult and complex uh, situation. There's no doubt about that. Uh, how difficult and complex is it? Is it beyond Fine Gael? No, it's not beyond oh, Fine Gael okay. and we are tackling mm. it. Mm. Uh, we are tackling it. It's, 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 a, about, it's about grassroots provision of homes. We hit a mm. massive economic crash. There's no doubt about it. Everything stopped. Um, everything stopped except people needing homes. So it's, it, we're back on track. Um, and it's going to take probably a lot longer than, than we anticipated, but we are working hard. And on Meath County Council, I have to say, the executive are very committed to providing as many social homes as possible. And they're in various different options. I mean, obviously, not all new bills. Mm. We have the HAP scheme as well. So there's there's lots of different opportunities. We have a lot of new housing estates you can see uh, going up. So we have part fives as well that will be coming, will be becoming available. Mm. What's the point in telling us that? You asked me the question. Yeah. No, but what's the point in uh, telling us about new housing estates and part fives becoming a- available? Does that mean that um, this is going to be solved in the next three months, six months, no, 12 it, months? No, it, it, it'll, it, it'll never be solved. There will always be an issue with, with homelessness. We've got to get it right now and provide the homes. <coughs> Annie Howie, uh, you're the youngest person here. Um, has this been part of your life uh, or, or do you remember the time uh, when it wasn't such a, an issue? Uh, do you remember how it, it changed? Uh, I think Sharon Tolan is probably right in saying uh, that it's a, a problem that worsened from 2008 onwards uh, with the crash. Uh, but do you think that that was uh, the fault of Fianna Fáil as she's suggesting or was it the fault of Fine Gael or the fault of Labour? I think the housing crisis has been the fault of cumulative years and I think if you look like housing stock didn't just run out like there was Fianna Fáil government for a really long time 
Um, and you, know, you have to have four planning. You know when population booms are going to happen. You know that people are going to need houses. And I think there was a real lack of foresight when things were good and you know, to, to plan ahead for you know social housing and people who are going to need housing and that not everyone's going to be uh, part of the boom generation. And, and I think there was just a real mismanagement of, of housing long before I think people really can grasp it and that was really mm. a good bit before the boom, you know, during the boom time and, and just because there was wanton building left, right and centre, there was no planning, there was no mm. structure to it, there was no idea of where that was going to go and I think you, you can actually look back to Fianna Fáil time when it all mm. kind of went a little bit elbow over heel if you will, if yeah. a, a politer version of saying it you know, and, and, and that has mm. caught up mm. then, then there was the, the crisis and then mm. it all kind of just spiralled out of control. And the Labour Party mm. government and how Alan Kelly as uh, the minister with uh, direct responsibility oversaw the problem and how uh, that was compounded by decisions made by Joan Burton uh, in terms of social welfare payments. I think some of the, the housing that, that Sharon is talking about, those are ones that were signed off on by Minister Kelly during his time. These things take a couple of years to come to fruition. So if you track okay. so, where those houses have come okay. from, they so, would have so, come from his time being Minister. So you'd agree minister. with Sharon, we just need to wait. A little bit like Damien English, give us a little bit more time. I don't think we need no. to wait. I think no. we need to take a lot of action. I think if you look at some of the, the plans that, I mean, a number of mm. parties before, but particularly the Labour Party have put forward a fairly comprehensive housing plan about what they would like to see happen. And it involves a really radical rethink of what we're doing. Do you know, HAP and building hotels coming out of our ears mm. in Dublin is not going to solve the housing crisis. The mm. money simply just needs to go into social okay, housing. Well, you can see up in the Docklands where there's no social housing being going into those huge big builds. That's absolutely appalling and that's happening all over the place. There's social cleansing where there's these fancy new estates being built and councils are struggling to grasp and to get the minor, the few social houses that should be given over to social housing as is agreed. Mm. And councils are struggling to get those and that is and that is a part of social cleansing and people are being moved out of areas that they've raised, that they were lived in, that they were raised in, that their mm. friends and family, their social supports are in because they're being shoved out of the way for big bills and then the councils are furiously trying to get them back in or else buying houses no, elsewhere. Sure. But th- that, that's part of the, the issue as to why it's taking so long is because we are providing social housing in private estates and it's important that we mm. do have that spread that we don't build massive council estates like we did back in the 70s and then have to deal with the social issues that come with those. People need to live across all spectrums of society and, and not have social housing. But, but you're, allow, you're, allowing, you're allowing the cuckoo funds to buy up houses and snap, compete with first-time buyers. I mean, this, this is double-speak on the government's depar- uh, speak, uh, uh, half. We have people who are p- trying to buy houses mm. and we're allowing these bizarre uh, non-Irish cuckoo funds coming in. They're paying no corporation tax, no mm. income tax, Why? no capital gains tax. Because they're too expensive. Are we too reliant on council housing? Should we make housing more affordable? But builders are building houses and when people go to buy the houses, they find the houses are snapped up and, mm. and they're being offered the houses then as rented accommodation I'd say €2,000 or €1,800 a month where they could buy the same on a mortgage which is bricks mm. and mortar loan investment for say €1,200 a month and the government are allowing this to happen. It's an absolute disgrace. Well I've registered there, hundreds of people the, the, over the last Simply, number of weeks I mean, this to vote is, who have this, all moved into the late Ambetti's town this area is a national because emergency. it's affordable, because uh, it's accessible, because no. we're close to Dublin, because we've an awful lot to offer in the area yeah. and it's because of what we've worked on. But the, the country, what the, though, isn't it? What the government should be doing is declaring a national mm. emergency for housing. On the doorsteps, this is the single biggest issue coming up. It is the let m- me it give is. you an example. Let me, and, and let me give Fine Gael an example. Canvassing recently, I met a young woman, two teenage children, 
The house has just been sold where she's renting. The new buyer wants to move into it. She was given three weeks to pack her bags. She went well, to Meath County. We went well, to, she went to Meath County Council, and the Meath County Council said, and the, the staff are working very, very hard, and they said, "There's nothing we can do until you are made." Homeless, come to us when you're made homeless. Mm. When that's bags are, am I, well, that, that's no, no, sorry, that. yes, sorry, Sean. I mean, you're living in Cloud Cooper no, Land. This is the reality. This is the reality on the ground. This is the reality on the ground. I've had the housing department discuss with landlords when they've given too short a time frame. It all depends on how long your tenure has been and how long you've been in a home. But I've had our housing department fight for the rights of people. You've suggested that staff at Mead County Council left somebody high and dry. No, I'm not saying that. No, I'm not saying that. I'm absolutely sorry. Sorry, Michael, what I'm saying is with respect. What I'm saying is. No, no, we heard what you said and, you, and now you've contradicted it. Let Peter Whelan come back. I, I, would, I would agree with an awful lot of what was said because you don't have to be you know, living in another country to know that we have a serious, serious problem with housing. But I would blame two things. One is, I spoke to a lady who I work with uh, in Dublin and she used to work in the Department of Environment and she, like me, remembers back in the 60s there was a 20-year plan and Dublin Corporation, as it was then, built the likes of Drimna, Crumlin, all of those places, Cabra, and Ballymun, yes, things. Ballymun. And I'll tell you one thing. If we had, excuse me, Sharon, you had, you've had... The, I didn't put in now. Ballymun, yes. I'll tell you one thing. If we had Ballymun now, we wouldn't mm. have the people that I'm meeting on the doors telling them which... And in fairness to what Fergal just said, and I don't agree with everything, but I believe in... I'm not, it's not party politics here. Okay. Fer, I know what Fergal meant. I have a, a woman in Slane, the same story, and she was told... I'm only telling you what she said. I'm not blaming yeah. any one particular mm. person. She was told that she has to be homeless before she can get the house. And the landlord is putting her out. Mm. Yeah. But she has but, to be on the street. That, that's, and that is a fact. That's different than saying that the council won't represent. No, I, didn't, no, I wouldn't say that. But and, in fairness to Fergal, he didn't, I don't fair, know, I'm not going to defend no, for, to what, fair, what Fergal said. I, I to be fair, I grew no, up because in we're not going to be detailed by government parties here. And I'm well aware of There is a major problem. Now, can I come back to what I was saying, please? Sharon, I think you've had long enough to speak. The banking system is the problem. There's a couple in Slane, right? just go back to Ballymun for a moment. Well, okay, Ballymun, yeah. You, no, well, no, well, let's look. Let be fair, the clock is ticking here. You'd and like to the, repeat Ballymun, would you? Uh, well, no, I didn't say that. No, but I just said if we had it, we wouldn't have 128 that, people sleeping on the doorways. Would that be the approach that you'd take? No, absolutely not. High rise flats? No, no, absolutely not. Now, if you let me talk, mm. I was going to say that the banks play a role in this too. First of all, we go back to the 20 year plan. The money that's been paid out in HAP if that was set aside over a 20 year period would build more than enough houses to build the people who are looking for them that's number one secondly you've also comp- compounded the problem by people who are working two people in a house in Slane working thirteen to €1400 Euro a month they're paying rental they go to the bank for a mortgage and it's not recognised right a man down the road in the same house mm. eventually fought to get a mortgage he's paying €600 Euro a month if then people were given a mortgage, they'd have an extra €700 Euro a month right. to spend in uh, our local uh, economy. Uh, unless yeah. their interest rates were 12 or 15%. Well, I don't know about the interest, but what I'm saying well, is the bank has to be told, we own the banks. We bailed out the banks. They're mm. ours. Mm. 
right? And they have to be told, give mortgages to people who can prove they've been paying rent for mm. the last three and years. And what, what if the interest rates increase well, I don't, I, I'm not a banker. I'm, not going to, I'm only suggesting... Well, you we, end up paying it or I'll end up paying no, it. That's well, actually, we're, pay, we're paying for the HAP. You'll, we're repeat, paying, excuse you'll me, repeat history. We're paying for the HAP. We're paying yes. for... It's unbelievable. It's Go ensuring that there are rules over people's heads. It's a short fix. It's a short fix, Sharon. But there are people who do not need a social house for life. Anyhow, he has to be given some time to talk Sorry. here. You look uh, pretty disillusioned listening to this debate. Well, there's just something about I'm trying to get my foot into the property ladder. I'm going to be saving for another couple of years. And mm. there's just something really irksome having loads of people talking around when there are people who are living through this. There's people listening to this who don't care how much we're squabbling about it. They want to see us doing something about it. They want their candidates to be pulling themselves forward. They want candidates who are living a life like they are. There are so many young people in this area. We've been extremely young population actually in the South Drogheda East Meath area. People my age who are looking around and thinking what in the name of God is there for me? Is there ever going to be a break? I don't, there isn't a single day that I don't wake up with a tight feeling in my chest thinking about how on earth I'm going to get myself through and I have a good job, my partner has a good job and we're furiously trying to save as much as we can and we just never see an end to it and that's why there are people like me putting ourselves forward because our voices aren't being heard on the council there aren't people putting forward who understand this constant worry that everything's just going to collapse around us and if if the housing crisis doesn't collapse around us that we're going to end up in a sizzling wasteland because Ireland we're going to be overheated and climate climate change is going to take us like there's just this constant series of things that we are being faced with no opportunity to actually affect change so you know, there are people like me putting ourselves forward going, actually, I'm living through this housing and I can't get my foot in the door and I can't possibly save. I'm looking at the country and the world around us heating up rapidly mm. and people aren't doing anything about it and we're being told to stop do you talking think, about it. Do you, do you think, Peter, is correct that perhaps we'd be better off reducing our expectations and building high-rise buildings or buildings that maybe are, are, are not... Well, I didn't uh, say build high-rise buildings in fairness. Well, like Ballymun. Yeah, no, no, I mean, no. Sharon brought up Ballymun. That was know, history. That's history. Know, Ballymun is history. But I just said, the, the I said it as a say. throwaway remark that we'd okay. be better off if we had it today, well, which well, we would be, okay. rather than having 128 well, people in doorways in Dublin today. Well, that's the question I'm asking, Annie. Well, I'm a big, pretty big fan of sustainable development, mm. sustainable building. There's some parts of like inner city Dublin that have no green areas and they're just being built up on, mm. and that's not good. And I think we've got really good opportunity here. There's there is space to build in Ireland. We're not a complete concrete wasteland yet. There is space for sustainable development, sustainable building, houses that, you know, have you know, maybe solar power, part of those things, micro wind farms. All of these things can be brought into part of our building plans and our building schemes. I'd like to see a little bit more creativity, actually, in how we are building and how we're, we're envisioning um, you know, the, the social plans. I know there's big plans for like Laytown all the way down to Bettystown. And I think there's real opportunity there for that planning to be about sustainable, about building communities, about ensuring, you know, sustainable builds and that people take responsibility over their own sustainability. And also for a mix of housing where there are people mm. from all sorts of different backgrounds and economic backgrounds. And I think uh, maybe I'm an idealist. Maybe it's because I'm looking, I'm not uh, jaded yet I by politics. But I, there's Do I look jaded by politics? <laughs> no, no, you don't. No, you don't. There's only one looking face in this room at the moment the face for radio will ask you each uh, to wrap up very quickly uh, if we could go around the table Peter uh, you started so perhaps uh, you'd like to yeah. finish with it um, No I'd just like to say that uh, I'm the reason I'm running as I said at the outset is because I was disillusioned with, with the body politic I do feel that this is a new party that really means business uh, and for as regards to lo- on the local issues I know an awful lot of the issues were national issues that we're talking about but we have the, I have the year in my case of the likes of Pater Tobin who's a sitting TD and we would be talking about the likes of parking in rural villages 
you know, like say Betty's Town, Slane, we need park and ride facilities. There's people parking outside local businesses and people cannot get, you know, customers. Like I was over in Betty's Town there the other, the other day and I had to park in the back of the Mace shop there, you know. I mean, that's, and, and, and I was going for, for a meal and I was told I had to be only for 45 minutes. So I was nearly not going to have a mm. meal in Reddins. But that's a little example of, we need, we need, uh, we need park and ride facility. Crime, we have the Hillis Lane, we have Doubt, we have Nout. And we have uh, now we've got Slain uh, Distillery in Slain. Tourists are coming up there, and I spoke to local Gardaí. There's at least two cars a week being broken into, and all it needs is cameras. So it's basically security. Because I'm involved okay. in, the, as you say, the food mm-hmm. tourism, and yeah. I know the potential that's there. And I'll stop you there, Annie Howie, just uh, to conclude, please. Um, I suppose I'm running because I think I really want to see someone like me on the council, a young voice, a fresh voice, someone who speaks mm. for a very large group of the population here in South Drada, East Meath. Do I have a, a record of campaigning and activism together for yes, working with Michael D. Higgins? And I really like to bring that experience onto the council and maybe just go in there and jostle things up a little bit. I think it's time for a new voice on the council. All right. Uh, despite my confusion, uh, Fergal O'Byrne, uh, you've failed on many occasions previously. Why do you think you should succeed as a candidate this time? Well, I think we have tremendous opportunities in Eastmead on, to be positive. Along the Bine Valley, this could be a centre of tourist excellence. We can rival Westport, we can rival Kerry, but we need an integrated plan. We need a new county development plan. We don't have a current county development plan. The current outgoing council controlled by Fine Gael and the independents failed to produce a county development plan. We need a new county development plan funded to drive tourism in Eastmead on the one hand. However, the big, big issue of our time is is housing and we need housing declared a national crisis to solve the housing in East Meath and nationally. All right, and we'll conclude uh, with uh, the sitting councillor, outgoing councillor Sharon Tolan. Uh, I've worked extremely hard for the past five years. I made one promise and one promise only in 2014 when I ran for local election and that was to work hard. I have worked hard and it is my one promise going into this election. Um, I'd like to thank thank people um, in Leytown, Bettystown for giving me the opportunity to represent them um, for the past five years and for what I've delivered. I'd also like to extend my thanks to yourself and the staff here in LMFM. You've all been very courteous and fair um, and I've enjoyed working with you all for the last five years okay. and hopefully I'll be back. <laughs> Alright, listen, thanks to each of you for coming in to us uh, this morning. People voting in Laytown, Bettystown area will have uh, the opportunity if they wish uh, to give you their number one with thanks to Finnegale's Sharon Tolan, Fergal O'Byrne of Sinn Féin, Annie Hoey of the Labour Party and Peter Whelan of AIM2. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. A busy morning? Very busy, Michael, on the phones. Good morning to you and to everybody listening in. Yes, we've had a couple of people in touch regarding the way Money More has been referred to by commentators on the show. Bernadette says that... Uh, it's not it, that money more has been talked about as if it's money more that's the problem but the problem is not restricted to the money more estate I don't live there she says but I've worked in the town and have dealt with honest decent people living in money more there have been incidents all over town and the focus shouldn't just be on money more it angers me an email from a listener who says please stop talking about money more as if all the trouble is caused by the people from the estate most people there are hard working people who make sure our kids are decent human beings and I believe 
um, many in the estate have now gone on to third level education. People are doing their best. The way politicians are talking, they're acting as if Moneymore is a deprived place where only backward people live. My blood is boiling listening into your show. God, I'm really sorry that people have heard it that way because I don't think that's uh, the case at all, at all. But it would be silly not to be mentioning Moneymore because a lot of the problems stem from Moneymore. A lot of people would be afraid to go into Moneymore. And there's a lot of people who live in Moneymore who are afraid to step outside of their front door. We had a listener, also John from Navin, phoned in. He has been listening to events of the last week and he says that he's delighted with the news that extra Gardaí are being drafted into Drogheda. But he feels that the future of Drogheda is in the hands of the people, that it's up to the people of the town to assist the Gardaí in their investigations. He says he knows that people are afraid, but they shouldn't be afraid to give information if it will lead to arrests. Okay, well, just uh, across the road from the Moneymore Estate in Drogheda is Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital and as we've been hearing there's been another data breach there and I have a, a lot of very personal information about a, a lot of local people in front of me it would seem. Uh, these are files that were found in a woman's front garden and handed on uh, to uh, the HSE indeed uh, to Labour Party Senator Jed Nash who's with us here this morning. Good morning to you and morning, uh, thanks for joining us as I say. It's uh, another such breach. It's not the first time uh, Why does this continue to happen? This is the question on everybody's lips and this is the major question that I have. Uh, I got a uh, call yesterday from a constituent, um, a woman in a Northside housing estate in Drogheda, uh, approximately a kilometre, who lives approximately a kilometre away from the hospital as the crow flies. Mm. Uh, She was tidying up around her garden and found a number of pieces of paper and on closer inspection, she realised, in fact, that this was very detailed, very sensitive information. Patient documents, apparently, it seems to me, handover notes may be written by uh, possibly a number of members of staff in Our Lady of Lords Hospital, uh, detailing the conditions, mm. um, the I see somebody uh, here, John. Yeah, and God, I have their name as well. Will uh, I read it out? It, no, well, this is no, the problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. You know, we can't, and this is the fear, mm. that this kind of information now is in the public domain uh, because of a, let's just say, a lack of robustness in the way in which uh, data and detailed confidential information is managed at Our Lady of Lords Hospital. I'm extremely angry about this, uh, Michael. That could be my information, it could be yours, it could be my mother's information, somebody I care about. Um, this is a massive violation of individual privacy mm. and uh, it is completely unacceptable. We've been discussing this issue on this programme time and again over the last few years and it seems now even that the very strong GDPR legislation is in place. It's been in place now a year this month. There still seems to be no fear of the Data Protection Commissioner from people because the in HSE the now faces fines They do. Uh, as a result of an amendment, in fact, mm. that was put forward by myself and other senators. You might recall, Michael, um, when we were discussing this issue back in February 2018, mm. uh, I think the most recent reported data breach at Our Lady of Lords Hospital where uh, consultant files were found strewn um, uh, across uh, a, a roadway in Drogheda mm. that... Um, the debate was ongoing in the Shannon about the new data protection legislation and what that was going to mean. Uh, there are fines, uh, and the original draft of that legislation provided for fines of up to €20 million Euros for private organisations who breach uh, confidentiality, breach your data rights and so on. So we're talking here about, you would imagine, an organisation like Facebook, like banks, uh, other private organisations, and that's understandable. But the Minister resisted at every turn. Charlie Flanagan resisted at every turn uh, our proposition for the Minister of Defiance to be levelled at public bodies because 
the, my argument was public bodies like the HSE dealing with mm. incredibly sensitive information should uh, be uh, subject to punitive fines to change the culture and the behaviour of these organisations from the management down. And, and this was taken very serious. This, the, 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 seriously, this, the, this is identical uh, in terms of the correct. information that we've reported on before when files have been brought to our attention and it was taken very seriously by the Data Protection Commissioner who reported on it uh, and uh, we had calls from HSE officials who were clearly in a panic in the past looking for the files to be returned after they had heard it would seem from the Data Protection Commissioner uh, and that is because of the personal information that's involved, how that uh, is a breach of patient confidentiality and what you would expect from a service such as the health service executive. Uh, and here we are again, despite it happening not once, not twice, not three times, uh, and a change in the law. Yeah, there's, there's a, a, a complete lackadaisical attitude and a very casual and kind of cavalier attitude to the management of, of personal information, it seems. Um, I remember back in 2016, the Data Protection Commission report um, detailed, I think, about 211 different breaches reported to them by the HSE. I've no reason to believe that uh, that information is any mm. um, better. Um, it has probably got worse, um, notwithstanding the fact that there is at least a threat of a million of a, fines um, amounted to about €1 million Euro for organisations like the HSE. It is incredible to think that there are people who are just not doing their jobs. Mm. I've been asked, well, have you been in touch with the HSE about this? Joe, my job was actually to direct the constituent who contacted me to give her the best advice that I could uh, and the best advice I could give her is to contact the hospital management immediately to return this documentation. It is my, not my job to manage the day-to-day operation of individuals in Our Lady of Lords Hospital. Uh, I do, though, okay. uh, want to make this very clear. Mm. It is about time that individuals and organisations were made accountable for these kinds of breaches. They are driving people mad. Um, as I said earlier on, this could be you, mm. myself, it could be Marie Cairns, it could be anybody in this organisation or anybody we yep. care about. Okay. It is absolutely wrong. It's a huge violation. And uh, the first thing that should happen, and I hope that this is in train as we speak, in fact, I hope it happened yesterday, uh, management of Our Lady Lord's Hospital should be in direct contact with the patients and the families concerned to meet them directly and engage directly with the Data Protection Commissioner who should urgently investigate this and take whatever necessary action mm. the Data Protection Commissioner we, we, We'd assume that would happen at a minimum stop because this from happening yeah, again. Well, we'd assume that that would happen at a minimum because uh, that's what way they responded in the past uh, but it didn't stop it from happening again which was the last part of what you said. Well what happened was previously a slap on the knuckles was issued and there was a promise not to do it again and what happens a year later? It happens again again. and it will happen again. Hold that thought for a moment. There may very well be other information circulating in the streets of this town. It is unlikely this is an isolated incident, a handful of documents pertaining to one shift uh, uh, possibly in the emergency department of the hospital. It could get worse. Okay, hold that thought for a moment uh, because uh, I do want to talk to you about another issue relating to the health service and the issue that's dominating the minds of uh, people in uh, the Drogheda area. Marie, uh, if you have more uh, comments uh, relating to the ongoing criminality, I take it. That's right. We have a text from Rita who says, my sister got a phone call to say that the district nurse won't be calling due to the trouble in the town and regarding the extra guardy coming to town, says Rita. Uh, it's in the news that they're not coming until June. A lot can happen between now and then. All right. And uh, we uh, had made contact 
contact with the HSE earlier on uh, about uh, the public health nurse and the district health nurse and uh, Fergus O'Dowd told us uh, that he had heard concerns from a number of public health professionals who said that they weren't doing home visits as a result of the concerns that they have about this ongoing feud. We got back to the HSE because the initial statement we got from them this morning didn't make any sense. We've another statement from them. They say home visits are still taking place but while the HSE doesn't comment on any individual cases, all referrals are based on individual needs and on a case-by-case basis. So we're interpreting that to mean that some home visits are taking place and some public health workers are refusing to visit the homes of some people. Labour Senator Jed Nash, what do you make of that? So it seems, and uh, that explains a message that I received earlier on from a very senior HSE official to reassure me um, that house visits were continuing to be undertaken uh, and that, as was said in the statement, uh, consideration is given to home visits on a case-by-case basis. Um, And if I had any particular cases, this individual uh, said that I wanted to bring to their attention that I could do so. I shouldn't have to lobby the HSE for a home visit for somebody who who is maybe in distress or somebody who needs some primary care attention to visit of a district nurse and so on. I also understand, though, at the same time as well, that the HSE has a duty of care uh, to their staff. Um, I don't know what the individual case is. I haven't been contacted about that particular case or cases. Uh, but I think it's important that we should be aware of it and keep a watching brief on this. People are entitled to have a service. The message need not go out that this town is unsafe. We know that there are differences here time and time again. Actually, if I can comment, Michael, I mean, I do welcome the fact that we have 25 additional Gardaí, but it is disgraceful that it has taken a brazen, indiscriminate gun attack in Harman's Gardens last Thursday and an incredible amount of lobbying and awareness raising of this issue by me over the last 12 months to get to the situation where the government is finally responding. Very interested in remarks by local Fine Gael politicians yesterday telling us all that it was the Minister for Justice who had been in contact with them to tell them that there were going to be additional guards. That's very peculiar because the Minister for Justice keeps telling me and is shouted and elsewhere that he is not responsible for the allocation of policing. Mm, yeah. This is not a party political we'll issue. We'll I will we'll welcome this we'll if we'll it happens we'll and we we'll need to keep a watching we'll brief as well. We'll, we'll, ask Charlie Fla- we'll ask Charlie Flanagan. If you'll ever bother to speak to you, Michael. We'll ask Charlie Flanagan about it. If he, he finds 10 minutes uh, to speak to the people of Drada because it's not to us uh, and indeed the surrounding areas. Can Re- I just get to a couple of more points because we've had a lot of calls. A listener rang in, didn't want to give her name, but said, I feel, Michael, that what's been overlooked in all of this is how traumatised young children in Drogheda are as a result of what is going on. If you're a parent of a young child, they're all that's all they're talking about in school. They're terrified. You can't get them to sleep at night. And this is overlooked by the discussions that are going on in the show. Well, well I'll tell you what's happening now in schools. And I know because of the relationship that I have with all of the schools around this town, I take a close interest in the education of young people and their welfare. What's happening is that these events are being actually played out in playgrounds okay. and it's a natural thing to happen. There are actually kids, it appears to me, who are forming gangs based on the different alignments that are taking place around different areas of Drogheda and that is an exceptionally incendiary and dangerous situation that we're going to be facing into if all of this isn't dealt with robustly and shame on those who have only been taking decisive action now. Okay. Can I go to one more? Very, because, very quickly. Uh, this <laughs> listener rang and didn't want to be named either, but she's a, a mother in the heart of Drogheda and says that everybody seems to be celebrating about these Gardaí 
coming to the town but she is still very nervous. She thinks that sending Gardy here from Templemore is that really the answer? Should we not have experienced personnel to deal with these hardened criminals? She says I've, I was born in Drogheda I'm rearing my family here and I'm absolutely worried okay. sick. Alright well thanks uh, for that. Thanks to everybody who has been in touch uh, and thank you indeed Labour Party Senator Jed Nash uh, for coming in to us this morning as well. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now, Rwanda, the organisation uh, that uh, works uh, with uh, people who are involved in prostitution and uh, the sex trade, has published its annual report. It's uh, after 30 years of work in this area, and we're joined by its chief executive, Sarah Benson. Good morning to you, Sarah, and thanks uh, for joining us. I think you've been morning. the point in your report about how things have changed over the course of of the 30 years that you've been involved in this type of work. Uh, but there has been some significant change, it would seem, uh, this week in that 36 uh, people have uh, been questioned for allegedly paying for sex. That's correct. <clears throat> Excuse me, Mike. Um, yeah, for your listeners um, who may not be aware, the law actually changed in Ireland in 2017 and uh, uh, as part of a very large and progressive piece of legislation, the Criminal Law Sexual Offences Act, uh, which covers a, a large number of different issues related to um, sexual offences. And two things re- related to the area of prostitution and trafficking were implemented as part of that law. One was that um, the individual in prostitution um, is more fully decriminalised, which is important given the levels of exploitation and um, uh, crime against people in prostitution, which uh, is, uh, you know, um, uh, is continuous. But the other thing that happened is that the uh, purchase of sex was made a criminal offence in the indoor sector. And so... There hadn't been an enormous amount of progress with that uh, law, and so the Gardaí um, did uh, have started to step up their activities, and they did a day of action which uh, went over a few different counties, in mm. fact, uh, where they targeted the buyers exclusively. So there was they, they were not um, in any way targeting the, the women themselves. And we were very pleased to hear that that was their focus and that this law has helped to signal very clearly to the Gardaí that individuals in prostitution, whether they are there independently or as is the majority case uh, under some form of third party control and indeed uh, in some cases trafficked and and we worked with 122 victims of sex trafficking last year that they should be engaged as uh, potential victims, potential witnesses uh, and certainly not in a punitive way. So the focus on the buyer is very much around um, uh, acknowledging the fact that without the buyer a pimp and a trafficker has no business model that in fact in many many cases not just in Ireland but internationally the perpetrators of violence are themselves buyers um, and uh, and that the purchase of sex is simply not a benign or harmful activity indeed it drives trafficking and um, it is also something that is incompatible with equality uh, gender equality and also is at odds with the you know broader mm. national discussion indeed international discussion that's happening around the issue of consent because um, you know the the in prostitution what is effectively happening is the bypass of meaningful consent by paying money um, in many cases uh, in circumstances that are preying on somebody's desperate financial need or or a a very serious, precarious situation. It's a very 
interesting life uh, to uh, put it uh, in a, a peculiar way uh, very hard, mm. difficult for uh, us to understand if we're not involved in it uh, and I'm sure every person who's involved in uh, the sex trade has a, a different story you've dealt with uh, some 300 people 313 people over the course of uh, the last year 313 different stories uh, over 200 of them as you say have been trafficked uh, people but uh, prostitution uh, is not uh, as visible in this country as perhaps it once was uh, a lot of it is behind closed doors these days why is that the case? That's that's quite correct. I mean, Rahama is in its 30th year now in 2019. And when it first started out, really, you had prostitution um, mainly, not exclusively, of course, in uh, on-street situations. It was quite visible. The law changed in 1993, and that was a component in kind of driving the... the um, the sector indoors, but more, much more importantly, uh, you know, we had two key things happen. One was the rise of the internet. And so now we have a very, very mobile indoor sex trade, which is effectively, um, you know, organized using uh, internet ads and mobile phone technology. And we also had an increase in globalization uh, internationally. And so while back 30 years ago, Rahama would have met almost exclusively with Irish women. Mm. Now, uh, in 2018, we worked with women of 40 different nationalities and in the indoor sex trade in particular, you know, have almost, um, I mean, certainly the vast, vast, vast majority are non-Irish nationals and um, they are coming from all over the world. You know, our top three um, nationalities that we supported, aside from Irish women, who would be mainly women we meet through our street outreach service, would be Nigerian, uh, Brazilian and Romanian. And so even there, three different continents represented. And this doesn't happen by accident. You have not just precarious migration, but you also have organised crime networks and you have trafficking networks that are extending all the way from sub-Saharan Africa um, right across uh, Europe and into Ireland. And, and, uh, you know, a significant number of the women Mm. we have uh, supported have been trafficked not just to Ireland, but to other countries uh, first and sometimes for years uh, before we end up uh, making contact with them and uh, and offering support. Okay, uh, we've run over on other items today uh, and I've uh, run out of time, Sarah. My sincere apologies for that, but thank you for taking the time to be with us and for joining us. Uh, Sarah Benson, Chief Executive Officer with Ruama, brings our programme to its conclusion today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM podcasts. Brought to you with Cartmacross Credit Union, where you'll find the best car loan to get you on the move. Talk to one of our team today at Cartmacross Credit Union, O'Neill Street or cartmacrosscu.ie.